0: On Sunday nights in my church, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, and we're just coming to the end of Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to be looking specifically at one verse, and that is God's instructions to fathers, and by way of application to mothers as well, with this issue of provoking your children to wrath, and how God commands us as Christian parents not to provoke our children under wrath and we'll look at several ways on how that is done. That way we can avoid committing that sin that God is commanding us not to do as Christian parents here in Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six, I'll begin reading God's word in verse one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll look at our text this morning. Father in heaven, we're so grateful and thankful that we could open up your word this morning as your people... To receive your divine instruction that you have for us. Father, help us, Lord, that our homes would bring glory and great honor to your holy name. Help our homes to be a, a testimony of your grace uh, to those that look at us, Lord, as we live the Christian life. Help us, Lord, in regards to the instruction that you have for us in verse 4 with regards to not provoking our children to wrath. And help us, Lord, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So this morning we're looking at this issue of not provoking your children to wrath. We desperately need to return to biblical principles with the issue of parenting. Christian parents don't need new, shrink-wrapped programs, but we simply need to go back to the instructions that God has given us in his inerrant word. If these few principles that God does give us in the Bible were to be applied faithfully and consistently, it would have a greater impact than anything that man could come up with. As we look here in verses 1 through 3, the Word of God here deals with the issue of the submission of children and how God calls both uh, children and specifically, actually, offspring for the word translated here, children, doesn't refer to Uh, to those who are 18 years and under. It refers actually to any offspring living with their parents. God's commandment to you is that you both obey your parents and the instructions they give you, and that you do it with a respectful attitude. That is an attitude of honoring your mom and dad. So the Word of God here deals with both your action, that is obedience, and your attitude and how you do it. That is, you can do the right thing, but with a bad attitude. And God calls you to do it with the right attitude. Because, of course, we know that man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. God sees our heart attitude. And so the Lord addresses the issue of submission of children in verses 1 through 3. In fact, I will remind you, that it was such a great sin for a young person to uh, talk back to their parents and to get angry at their parents to the point where if a, a young person struck their parent, the penalty for that was not a $50 fine. The penalty for that in the Old Testament in Exodus twenty one fifteen was death. And he that smiteth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. That is, it is an ultimate insult for a child to strike their parent that God instituted the death penalty in Israel for that crime. And so we deal, or we looked at, or we see here, the submission of children to their parents. Now, in verse 4, it deals with the submission of parents. And it is not the submission of parents to their children, which is commonly practiced in America— but it is the submission of parents to Almighty God and His instruction. And so the Word of God here, we look at, we're going to look here at verse 4, specifically the first part of verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this epistle, is writing it to the church at Ephesus, where Timothy is at. And for him to write how a father needs to love his children, he needs to love his wife, he needs to love his children, not provoke them to anger, that would be a new concept to many believers in this church who are first-generation Christians. For in the city of Ephesus, the Roman law was that of the father's power. A father had a right in Roman society to not only rule over his children while they lived with him, but to rule over them as long as he was alive. To such a point that a father, if he believed that his children disrespected him in a serious manner, a father could have his children executed. And so this was the law of Rome, but it was not the law of of God, So a father could get angry, he could get wrathful and have his children executed. God's word goes against the culture of that day. And that God commands fathers not to provoke their children to wrath. So Paul is not going with the current of his day. He is going the opposite direction of society of the first century. Now a father, if, he, if his child was born deformed... And had any type of medical condition, a father had a right, they would bring the child and lay it at the father's feet. And the father saw fit that the child should not live. He simply would give the thumbs down and they would leave the child exposed at night for it could die on its own. So with this cruel mentality of fatherhood in the Roman world, Paul comes and tells them the very opposite. You should not be ruling in wrath. You're not to provoke your children to anger. To provoke to wrath suggests a repeated, ongoing pattern of treatment that gradually builds up a deep seated anger and resentment that ultimately boils over into outward hostility. Now, let me expound on this a little bit further and give you some ways practically how this commandment is violated in our day. How do parents provoke a child to wrath? Let me give you several points quickly. First of all, how do parents provoke a child to wrath? The first way is by being inconsistent with discipline. Being inconsistent with discipline. Our Lord gave this very simple yet profound commandment in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 37. But let your communication be yea, yea, and nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh evil. That is, when you communicate and you say yes to something, mean yes when you say yes. When you say no, make sure you mean no. Don't lie. Tell the truth. When you say yes, mean it. When you say no, mean that as well. Parents commonly discipline inconsistently in several ways. First of all, by having different parental standards for discipline. Father has a certain law in the home, and when the child violates it, that child is spanked for that. But when mother's there and father's at work, mama does the very opposite, sending a totally different message to the child, frustrating the child. The second way that parents discipline inconsistently is by changing from day to day what is punishable behavior and what is not. No, Johnny, don't touch that. Johnny disobeys and gets spanked. The next day, Johnny, don't do it. And he does it and you just say, oh, children. He must have eaten a lot of sugar today. (laughs) And so the child doesn't know, is this the time that my, is this really a no that means no or is mom just saying no as in you can still violate the command? Well, it's pretty simple. We follow our Lord's commandment that your no mean no. Your yes means yes, and yet how many parents have inconsistent standards of discipline in that way, provoking their children to wrath, frustrating them, not giving them a single uh, clear standard in the home. A second way that parents can provoke a child to wrath is by having a double standard, a double standard. When the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Philippi, Philippians 4, 9, he told them this, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. The Apostle Paul was telling the church there at Philippi, the things that I have taught you, that you have heard me teach you and you have seen me live it i want you to do the same the apostle paul was simply saying do what i do obey the word of god as i do he was not saying as some will communicate do as i say but don't do as i do that is having a double standard i still remember growing up as a boy and certain relatives would be drinking and they would say, uh, mijo, that's a way of saying son, um, you don't want to drink, man. It won't hurt you, son, I tell. That stuff will, it'll kill you, I tell you. It'll kill you. What they were saying was, do as I say, but don't do as I do. So a parent Who will tell his child, you need to honor God's word. You need to honor us as your parents. And then husband tells wife, sweetie, can you have dinner prepared at 4 o'clock instead of 6 o'clock? What? Do it yourself. (laughs) What happened to the respect of authority, of God-ordained authority in the home? What are you teaching your children? You're teaching them that when it comes to obeying God's standard, it's good for children, but it's not good for adults. We have rights. Whatever happened to responsibilities? By the way, slaves don't have rights. And the Bible says we are the servants of the slaves of Christ. And many times as Americans, we become obsessed with civil rights. When as Christians, we should be focusing on our responsibilities to obey God's holy word. So how do parents provoke their children to wrath? By having a double standard. Another way in which it is done, that parents provoke a child to wrath, thirdly, is by never admitting your wrong and never asking for forgiveness. A parent never admitting their wrong and asking for forgiveness. Our Lord, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, spoke about the importance of having right relationships with others. To such a point that it was so important that if you were in the temple offering a sacrifice and you remembered that there was a personal issue between you and another person, you ought to leave your sacrifice there and go out and get that relationship right. Make sure that that thing is settled and then come back and worship God. In Matthew five twenty three, our Lord put it this way. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. So if a man or a woman is worshiping the Lord, and according to the law of God in the Old Testament, and offering a sacrifice there, and doing everything um, outwardly, religiously correct, but yet he remembers that there is a personal offense that someone has against them, and they are there, they are to leave. The sacrifice there, and run back and make sure you've done your best to reconcile. If you've offended someone, go back and ask for their forgiveness. And how many times parents are quick to make sure that their children apologize and ask for forgiveness when they do wrong, but how many times parents fail to humble themselves when they have erred towards their child and seek a child's forgiveness for sinning against them. No parent has parented as a believer perfectly. And if we're honest, we all have made errors in our parenting. And if we have sinned against our child, we've lost our temper against them. Instead of blaming them or saying, oh, I just had a hard day. Or I just yelled at you like that because uh, that's just the way it is. That's the way I was raised. Instead of excusing your sin against your child... You ought to ask for forgiveness from your child admit that you've sinned and done wrong. Children don't need perfect parents because they don't have them, but they do need true Christian parents. They're willing to admit when they're wrong when they have sinned and seek a child's forgiveness. What type of message are we sending to our children when we expect them to repent of their own sin and yet they don't see dad and mom repent because we're too prideful? That is a way of provoking your child to wrath, never seeking their forgiveness. Fourthly, another way, how do parents provoke a child to wrath? Fourthly, by constantly finding fault. By constantly finding fault. We know the story of Job and how Job had these four friends that came and counseled with him and the majority of their counsel was really bad elihu and job 32 he was the younger seemed to be that he had most wisdom he rebuked the other counselors the other friends of job who were constantly attacking job telling him the reason you're suffering is because there's sin in your life god has killed all 10 of your children because you have done something evil You are suffering physically, and you have this bodily ailment, this sickness, because there's secret sin in your life. They are making harsh judgments against Job. And Elihu said in Job 32.3, Also against his three friends was his wrath kindled, because they had found no answer, and yet had condemned Job. Job's counselors constantly and unfairly were trying to find fault in the life of Job. Frustrating Job. Angering Job. Because they were professional fault finders. Yet, how many parents are like that? They are very good at rebuking a child for doing wrong. And don't get me wrong, they definitely need verbal correction. The whole book of Proverbs is written by Father Solomon, instruction to his son. Children need to be corrected and rebuked verbally. But, there is a balance here. It is not just all correction. You're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong, you're doing this wrong, and this wrong, and this wrong, and this wrong, and you never praise them for doing what is right. It's just negative, and negative, and negative, and negative, and negative. Negative, and I wonder why my children are so negative. (laughs) Well, where's the praise? Look at how the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with the churches of Asia Minor in the book of Revelation. All the churches, with the exception of the church at Laodicea, our Lord had something to rebuke them about. But before he did that, for example, when he dealt with the first church, a church at Ephesus, before he rebuked them for the fact that they, they lost their first love for him, our Lord, before he brought these rebuking words, he commended them. And said, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. He began to praise them. I know you're a hardworking church. I know you work hard and you labor and you're sound in your doctrine. He praised them before he rebuked them. Our Lord's instruction to his children was well-balanced. It had both praise and it had rebuke. In a way in which a parent doesn't follow that type of pattern of Christ, and all they are is negative and negative and negative. You're doing this wrong and that wrong. Can't you get anything right? Is a way of frustrating and provoking your child to wrath. Again, I'm not saying there should never be verbal correction. Obviously, there needs to be. But there should be much praise as well. Good job. What you did, that's wonderful. I'm so proud of you. Boy, you're such a gift from God. I'm so thankful for you. For every, every correction, every verbal rebuke, there should be more praise that is placed upon our children Why? Because if we do not do that, if we do not verbally praise them and show them that we love them and tell them so, even though they know it, they need to hear it. If we do not do that, that's one way to provoke your child to wrath. Another way in which you can provoke your child to wrath is by parents reversing God-given roles. parents reversing God-given roles. Earlier, of course, Ephesians 5 dealt with the command that the Lord gave, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be under the control of alcohol. You need to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And the evidence is that you're going to You're going to speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart unto the Lord. You're going to be filled, if you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to be filled with worship to Almighty God. You're going to be filled with thanksgiving. And you are going to be submissive one to another. That is, as a result of being filled with the Spirit of God, you're going to want to be submissive to God-ordained authority. That is not something we do naturally. We need the help of Almighty God, the help of the Spirit. And it is in that context of believers being filled or controlled by the Spirit of God that God gives the instructions, the Christian husbands, about being loving leaders and to Christian wives. Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. By the way, our Lord Jesus Christ, certainly we understand that he was superior to Joseph and Mary in every way. And yet, our Lord, in his childhood, the Bible teaches us that he was obedient to his parents, even though he knew more than his parents. He was obedient to his parents, even though certainly he was more spiritual than his parents. Our Lord was submissive because that was God's pattern. That was God's order of authority in the home. So when God deals with the issue of husbands leading and wives submitting to their leadership, it is not an issue of being inferior or superior. Because even our Lord submitted to his parents and he was very much superior to them. The issue is of order. God is a God of order. And ultimately, in the home, someone will lead And God has established a pattern for the husband to be a loving, protective leader in the home. And for the wife to model what a a church should be. A church should be submissive to Christ, so a wife should be submissive to her husband. Not because the husband is more intelligent, for there are many situations where the wife is much more intelligent than the husband. It's not because the husband is more spiritual. There are many ladies that are more spiritual than their husband's. But out of love for God, we realize this is God's pattern for the home. And out of love for the Lord, the role of the wife or the Christian wife is to follow the leadership of her husband. And the role that God has for the Christian husband is to be the leader in the home. And children need to see that. That Christianity is not just something that is good for Sunday morning. But it is good for real life. Or when Monday comes and husband and wife discuss an important issue where a decision has to be made, that the husband humbly listens to what his wife has to say and they discuss the issues and the children see that. But when it comes time to make the final decision, the husband takes the lead and makes it and the children see that. And they see that Christianity is real in the life of mom and dad. To do the opposite... And for a husband to follow his wife in contradiction to the word of God, we are teaching our children that Christianity doesn't have to be lived. You just have to listen to the preacher and say, mm. And that's enough. But to live it is a different story. Well, let us keep going here. How do parents provoke a child to wrath another way? is by comparing them to others. Comparing them to others. In the book of Second Corinthians, uh, chapter 10, 11, 12, and 13, the Apostle Paul is arguing for his apostleship. He is telling this church that he loves, that is being swayed by false teachers, how he was an apostle. In fact, one of the things he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, he says, The signs of an apostle were wrought among you in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Look at my life. Look at my character. Look at the miracles that God is doing through me. I am an apostle of Christ. I love you. Follow me. Don't follow the teachings of these false teachers. And one of the things he said of those false teachers, one of their characteristics was that they were constantly comparing themselves with each other in order to elevate themselves. And he said in 2 Corinthians 10:12 For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves but they the false teachers measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise they're not very wise these false teachers constantly comparing each other to other people for they can elevate themselves they're doing something that's very unwise very foolish and we, as Christian parents, would be just as foolish to compare our children and the talents that God has blessed them with with other children. Little Panchito. Panchito, you should have been like Juan over here. Man, he gets straight A's and he's always doing his work, and you, you're always C's. What's the matter with you, Panchito? You should be like him. Well, God didn't make Panchito like him, he's unique as his own gifts and his talents, his own strengths and his own weaknesses. Nothing will frustrate a child, bring them to wrath, and the fact that you constantly remind them that they don't measure up to others. They don't have to measure up to others. What's most important is that your child, what's over thy hand, findeth to do, do it with all thy might. Do they give their best for God and for his glory? And if they do and they're a C student, praise God. You are not to be compared with other children because they're not others. They're, they're different. They're unique. Every child is so different and so unique. You're to love them for who they are. But one way chi- parents provoke a child to wrath is comparing them to others. Another way in which we can provoke a child to wrath... is by not making time to talk to them. Not making time to talk to them. I'm not referring to talking down to them. But actually talking to them. Letting them express, what are you thinking? What's going on in that little mind of yours? What what do you like? Why do you like that? Getting to know them as an individual. James 1.9 reminds us, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak and slow to wrath. How often we're the opposite. We are quick to speak and give, our, give them a piece of our mind. But we're slow to, we're very slow to hear. God's word makes it clear that we're to be swift to hear. Ecclesiastes 3.7 tells us that there's a time to keep silence. And there's a time to speak. A child needs to know and understand our children, that they are valued, that we want to talk to them, that we want to get to know them. Say, well, I see them every day. I look at them. They're still alive. They're okay. (laughs) Well, they are individuals made in the image of God. In In order for there to be a good relationship, there has to be good communication. You should not be raising a stranger in their home. You need to speak to them understand who they are, communicate. This is what develops a relationship between us and the Lord. We hear God speak through his word. And God wants to hear us speak in prayer, even though God already knows everything. Yet he still wants us to pray. That's part of having a relationship. And if there's anything that is needed for Christian parents to have a relationship with their children, to talk to them, to know them. Another way in which parents provoke a children to wrath is failing to keep your promises, failing to keep your promises. Earlier we noticed that our Lord said in Matthew 5:37 let your communication be yea yea and nay nay. Yes means yes, no means no. For whatsoever is more than these cometh evil. Colossians 3.9, written to the church at Colossae, Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Don't be a liar as a believer. Keep your word. Come this Friday, Juanito, I'm going to take you out to the ball game. I tell you, i gonna get home from work and we're going to eat and we're going to go to that ball game. Friday comes, and, oh, I had a bad day at work, and, eh, it's not a big deal, Juanito. We'll catch another game. Well, actually, it is a big deal. Because you gave your word, you're going to do it, do it. It's such a rare thing to find people that keep their word. In fact, in our city, it's uh, almost like a plague. I call someone a business, and I say, we have some work here that needs to be done. All right, we'll be there tomorrow at three. There's an 80% chance that they are not coming at three. So I look, and once in a while you'll find someone that keeps their word and I'm shocked, about to faint like a charismatic, when I see them walk in. It is a rare thing. But it should not be a rare thing among Christian parents. You give your promise to your child, I'm going to do such and such for you. And then it comes time to do that. Well, it's not that big of a deal. Keep your word. Teach your children about integrity by having it yourself. Don't provoke them to wrath by breaking your promises. Another way in which parents can provoke their children to wrath is disciplining them in front of others. Disciplining them in front of others. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15, the context there is dealing with church discipline. And Jesus said, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. That is, if someone offends you within the body of Christ, you're to go to him privately, alone, And tell him about the situation, that way he can repent, things can be reconciled between you two, and then it's over. If someone offends you and sins against you, it would be wrong for you to say, Bob, I need to talk to you. And you're talking to him after service and everybody looks, oh, he's mad at, she's mad at Bob. Or he's mad at Bob, everyone turns around and looks and you begin to scold him in front of everybody. The other day you said you're going to do such, and you didn't do such and such. I'm offended. I'm coming to you in the spirit of Matthew 18. And everyone's looking, oh, whoa, whoa, there's there's something bad going on there. No, you're not coming in the spirit of Matthew chapter 18. For it says there that you're to go to them in private. How many parents forget to do that with their children, forgetting that they are, I don't know if the term is correct, little people. They're little human beings. Instead of taking them aside after they've done something, here's your son running up and down Son, don't touch the piano. You can play with your friends, don't touch it. One of his friends dares him go touch the piano. <laughs> Ding! And you see that. So that's it. It's automatic timeout. No, it's not. Time for you to take him in private and spank him. For direct disobedience to your law. You're to take him aside in private and discipline him. You should not say, "Wow, well, Panchito, I chose not to touch it. Oh, I can't believe it. Come here, oh, Panchito. Get out of here. Everybody's telling him, Well, he believes in discipline. <laughs> what? This is not a show. This is not for everyone to look at you, spank your child. This is an issue between you, your child, and the Lord. You're to take them in private and discipline them. The issue is not embarrassing your children. You should not embarrass them. The issue is you need to train them. There are consequences to disobedience, but spanking sounds so harsh. Hell sounds harsher, doesn't it? But it's still a reality. And they are born with a heart defect. They're born with sinful heart. And so you must take them alone, give them a short rebuke. Do not give them a 30-minute sermon. Short correction, tell them many times they're going to get spanked, and then spank them. And after they are spanked and after they cry, you pray. You want to bring them to repentance of their sin and faith in Christ. And that is, the th- that is something that has to be done in private. When it's not done, I've seen it many times done, it embarrasses a child. That child turns out being angry. Here's a family function. Everybody's eating. Oh, there goes the child. Oh, could you do that, Poncho? Come over here. Oh, sh- sh- sh. Oh, yeah, I can't believe it. There's a the child embarrassed. Everyone is looking at him, gets spanked. And the child's not being held. That child's being provoked to anger. That child's being embarrassed. He's being belittled in front of everybody. And more than the physical pain... That's supposed to teach him something. It is not teaching him something. It is hardening his heart and anger towards his parents. You are not to provoke them to wrath. Take them in private and deal with it as a private matter. In the same way you would expect someone else who had a problem with you to deal with you in private. We will stop here. All right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the sufficiency of your word. Help us, Lord, to grow in our faith and help us to grow in our application of biblical principles to the lives of our family, that our families would be a testimony of the greatness of your grace, the power of your spirit. Help us, Lord. Forgive us where we have fallen short as Christian parents and help us, Lord, to learn your truth and to live it out for the glory of your great name, we ask your blessing upon your word in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.